good to see you tonight. I pray the Lord will bless you. Take your Bibles and turn, if you will, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 as we're going to look in verses 6 through 21. We've been looking at what Paul has been writing to the church to try to correct the mess of a church that was both a mess and a marvel, and God was trying to fix the church, and there was a lot of things that need to be said, and the Apostle Paul was saying that through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I have all seen pictures of people who have delusions of grandeur. If I stood up here with my hand in my, oh, I can't move. If I stood up here with my hand in my coat and I had a Napoleonic look about me, you'd understand that there's something wrong with Brother Wally, amen? Um, there are people that have delusions of grandeur. And so you probably have seen this depicted on movies, cartoons, or whatever. Uh, all of us have met somebody that we consider prideful, that we consider arrogant. Uh, we probably uh, can recognize that pretty quickly to the point, though, of not even wanting to be around somebody like that. They're hard to be around when somebody's arrogant and prideful. And, and uh, so when you put those two together, and tonight I'm going to talk to you about delusional pride, uh, you have a picture of some of the people in the Corinthian church. You have a, you have a problem that was existing that the Apostle Paul had to deal with. And in this, in this particular passage, Paul is blunt. Uh, Paul is sarcastic. Paul is even threatening, as we see in verse 21. So in trying to fix the problem that was within the church, Paul is addressing, and we've already seen this, he's addressing divisions within the church and the underlying causes of those divisions. He's addressed worldly wisdom as opposed to godly wisdom. Uh, he's addressed misunderstandings concerning ministry. Uh, he's addressed uh, the spiritual things of God that cannot be known by those who are not saved and, and how those things should be taken care of and, and cultivated among God's people. He's also spoke, uh, spoken of the immaturity that exists among the rank and file of the church. In other words, Paul's saying, I can't even give you what I want to give you because I'm, I'm just having to bottle feed you. I'm just giving you milk all the time. I can't move beyond that point. So, so we've all seen this. He's even spoken to the consequences of not dealing with these issues regarding standing before the judgment seat of Christ. So Paul has been all of these things, but in this particular passage of Scripture, he gets even more blunt. He gets even more threatening. He gets even more sarcastic because he's dealing with a, a, a great problem in the church of his day, but it exists in the church today. And if Paul were in most of our churches today, he would be just as blunt he probably would be just as sarcastic, and he would probably be just as threatening. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, be mindful that Paul is dealing with pride. Pride, perhaps, is the very first sin. If Lucifer, as we read in the Old Testament, the passages that pertain to the fall of Satan, the thing that brought him down was pride. And the Bible tells us that God resists the proud, and so as we look at what Paul says tonight to the church about delusional pride, we, we need to understand we're living in a time where much of this applies today. And we need to examine ourselves to make sure that even in the smallest way, it does not apply to us. So let's look at this passage together, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. I have applied these things to myself, we're talking about all these other things we've talked about, and Apollos, because of you, brothers and sisters, so that through us you may learn not to go beyond what is written, 
so that none of you will be puffed up in favor of the one against the other. For who concedes you any superiority? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you are satisfied, already you are rich. You have become kings without us. I wish you had become kings so that we could reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to die because we have become a spectacle to the world both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ and you are wise in Christ. We are weak but you are strong. You are distinguished, we are dishonored. To the present hour, we are hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, brutally treated, and without a roof over our heads, we do hard work, toiling with our hands. When we are verbally abused, we respond with a blessing. When persecuted, we endure. When people lie about us, we answer in a friendly manner. We are the world's dirt and scum even now. I am not writing these things to shame you. But to correct you as my dear children, for though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, because I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I encourage you then, be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my dear and faithful son in the Lord. He will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord is willing, and I will find out not only the talk of these arrogant people, but also their power. For the kingdom of God is demonstrated not in idle talk, but with power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for you are the God who has given us all things through Christ. And so, Lord, tonight as we look at this passage of Scripture more carefully, I pray again that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher, giving us all that we need so that what we hear and what we read, we will understand. We will be able to discern how it applies even to our own life, how we can implement it. Lord, through our, our living and serving for you, but also, Lord, how to teach others. But, Lord, help us to examine ourselves in light of this passage of Scripture that, Lord, we have not become delusional, nor prideful, nor both together. But rather, Lord, we see ourselves as you see us. And, Lord, we humbly submit ourselves to one another and to you to further your kingdom. To that end, Lord, we pray that you will have your will and your way in this time. Again, we ask your blessings on all who are present, particularly Lord Tommy and his family. And Lord, also upon your church and upon your kingdom work. Lord, may you do that which only you can do. And we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in this passage of Scripture, notice several things I want you to see about delusional pride that the Apostle Paul speaks about. First off, how delusional pride can be expressed. You see, in verse 6, he says that some people have a superiority complex. 
In other words, they go beyond what is written, but it also says that uh, some of them, if they went beyond what is written, they would become puffed up in favor of one against the other. This is basically uh, what Paul is saying is that there are some people who think they're better than others in the church. There are some people who think they have moved to a point uh, beyond where others are that they are somehow spiritually superior. Now understand that there's a difference between being more mature than other believers, being able to accept more responsibility, being able to understand things of the Lord better than others. There's a difference between that and having a superiority complex that looks down upon other people rather than helping other people move up. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who have a superiority complex with regards to their life, with regards to their walk with the Lord, with regards to their being with other people. So this is why Paul says that it pits one against the other in terms of comparison. We should never compare ourselves with other people. All of us are on a different journey. All of us have had different beginnings. Some of us have had opportunities for a better beginning than others. Some of us came to Christ earlier than others. Some have had better opportunities to know and hear and respond to the Word of God better than others. There are some people who have come out of the most difficult uh, uh, circumstances, and yet because of the work of the Lord, they have come out much better than others who take for granted the circumstance that they came out of. As I have examined throughout my ministry, I have seen people pit one against the other, and usually sometimes one against the other in hostility. And that's a sad case to find in a church. It's a sad case to find in the life of a Christian. But Paul was dealing with it in this church. It's, it's common. It's occurring in many churches where people say, well, you know, I know more than you do. I'm superior to you in terms of spirituality. Uh, sometimes I wonder what the Lord thinks of us when we say that. But as I look at this passage of Scripture, delusional pride can be expressed through a superiority complex, but also through false self-confidence. Look over in verse 18, chapter 4, verse 18, where it says, some have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. There are some people who become arrogant. They feel they don't really need any spiritual leadership anymore. They don't need leaders. They don't need anybody to teach them. They don't need anybody to walk with them in terms of discipleship or or in terms of, of growth. And, and so a lot of people in the church have become very independent of spiritual leadership. Now I realize that in other denominations, other churches are structured different than ours. And, and so, you know, in a Baptist church, we're typically a congregationally led uh, group of folks. Uh, for that reason, we look at leadership differently than some other churches look at their leaders. But I will be mindful of the fact that in the Bible, God gives his people leaders. God gives people teachers. He gives them pastors. He gives them people who will minister to them and lead them. And so we find all these great spiritual gifts that are given by the Lord as gifts to the churches. These are, these are ways in which individuals can help a church become what it needs to be. And there's a lot of people who reject spiritual leadership. There's a lot of people who uh, believe that leadership shouldn't be in awe of them rather than them being submissive to leadership. I've often been amazed at how many times people think that uh, they just simply know better than other people. Now, <clears throat> the person's not here tonight, person's not even connected with our church anymore, but uh, there was a time where I actually had somebody come, sit in my study, and said, 
I'm smarter than you. I can do what you're doing better than you're doing it. I thought, okay. I'm, I'm, I don't know how to debate a person who thinks they're smarter. They probably are. I don't know how to debate somebody who thinks they can do it better. Than, because I, if, in all honesty, if the Lord's not doing it, it's not getting done. But the reality is you have people that come up with such self-confidence that they don't need any kind of leadership. And, and so this is what the Apostle Paul addresses. There are people like this in churches. And then, of course, there are people whose pride is expressed through special considerations. Now, you have to go over chapter 5, verse 2, and we're going to cover that sometime down the road, but I'm just going to read that one verse. In chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says, And you are proud. Shouldn't you have been deeply sorrowful instead and remove the one who did this from among you? There was sin in the church, but they were so prideful they thought, well, God's rules don't really apply to us. Principles don't matter. We can basically do whatever we want. I've seen churches like this. I've seen churches who were prideful, who thought, well, we don't have to follow what everybody else follows. These, these things that the Bible prescribes, these principles that are laid out, we don't, need to, we don't have to follow them. There are a lot of people who today believe they don't need spiritual discipline. Be honest with you, I know the Lord is capable of discipline. One of the things I told my children, you know, uh, the Lord's a better disciplinarian than I am. And I think my kids would tell you they didn't have an easy time of it when it came to discipline in our home. But I know that the Lord does a better job than I could ever do when it comes to my loved ones. I can tell you this as a pastor, I know that that's true of every person in this church. The Lord will do a far better job of discipline than you can ever imagine. People all the time say things like, well, as Baptists, you believe you can just do whatever you want once you get saved. No. If you understand the lordship of Jesus, if you understand the work of the Lord in a life of a believer, you understand that the Bible tells us in John, in 1 John, that the ones that belong to the Lord, he disciplines. And if he doesn't discipline you when you do wrong, then it probably means you don't belong to him because he disciplined those whom he loves. And as the Bible says, I like the King James, chasteneth us like sons. Our God loves us enough to discipline us, but there are people in the church who are so puffed up, so prideful, so delusional in their pride that they express it by believing they really don't need discipline. Well, let's look at something else here in this passage of Scripture, how delusional pride can be explained. We've talked about how it's expressed, but how is it explained? Well, the Apostle Paul does a good job of this in chapter 8, so just flip over to 8. Verses 1 and 2, again, we'll talk more about this later, but I'm just going to read a couple of verses that apply to what we're talking about tonight. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 8, verse 1, uh, with regard to food, sacrificed idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If someone thinks he knows something, he does not yet know to the degree that he needs to know what is Paul saying? Well, he's saying that basically in the church, a little learning can be dangerous. Sometimes people get just enough knowledge to hurt themselves spiritually. In fact, it's, it's possible in the church that people can get just enough biblical knowledge, just enough knowledge that they not only hurt themselves, but they can hurt others as well. A little learning can be very dangerous. When I was working on the electrical crew at seminary, 
I had a really healthy respect for electricity. Now, I knew a little bit about electricity, but I didn't know really anything compared to the licensed electrician that I was working under at the seminary. But I will tell you this, I was so careful that when I was working with wires, I didn't care whether it was a ground or a neutral or the hot wire, I was using my clients to touch and move those things around. And one day I'm working in the bathroom, I'm working on one of these uh, lights that has a little plug in it and a little pull chain, and, and it's not working, so I'm pulling this off and I've got these wires and, and I'm being very careful. Even though I've shut the power off, I'm using my clients, I'm moving the wires and that licensed electrician popped his head in while I was working. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm moving these wires so I can get them properly aligned so I can hook up this new fixture. He said, well, you don't have to use those pliers on that white wire. That white wire is not going to hurt you. So I reached up there and got a hold of that white wire, and it lit me up. Which he then proceeded to say, well, sometimes there's a back feed on these wires. Now, you see, my lack of knowledge made me be very careful. His puffed-up knowledge got me shocked. I'll just tell you one other quick story about that as well, just, again, to drive home my point. So I'm on top of a uh, forklift with a metal cage that has lifted me up so that I can take out a mercury vapor light base because the bulb has been broken and the base is still screwed in and I've got my clients and I'm reaching up there and I'm easing that base out of there and I'm easing and easing and the electrician's there and he says you don't need that that base won't hurt you well I should have said yeah that's what you said last time but I reached up there and got a hold of that and really got the fire knocked out of me and he said oh I forgot these are 220 bulbs There are people that are like that spiritually in the church. They think they know more than they really know. And this is why the Apostle Paul says in that passage that I just read to you that they are puffed up because of knowledge when they really don't know and they really need to learn more. Little learning can be dangerous. That's how you can explain delusional pride, but also a lack of love. Let's look over to verse, uh, chapter 13 for just a moment, verse 4. Paul says, love is patient, love is kind, it is not envious, love does not brag, it is not puffed up. How can you explain delusional pride? Well, because some people take just a little learning and run with it when they don't have enough knowledge really to be what they claim to be because that masks their ignorance and it also can produce false dogma dogmatism, but but it also is explained by a lack of love. You see, love, love will build up. Pride will tear down. Love bends low. Pride is puffed up. And unfortunately, in the church, too many people are doing a lot of tearing down and a lot of puffing up rather than building up and bending low. And folks, what we need in the church more than anything today are people who understand the real purpose is to love as Christ loved us. How important it is when everything else is said and done in ministry and in life that the Apostle Paul 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, when all is said and done, faith, hope, and love, the greatest is love. Well, let's move on. There's a, a little learning can be dangerous is how you can explain pride. A lack of love is how you can explain pride. Delusional pride is also explained by a fleshly motivation. For that, you'll need to turn over to a different letter Paul wrote to the letter of Colossians in chapter 2 and verse 18. If you want to mark that or if you want to turn there and look with me, but uh, let's look at what Paul had to say to the Colossians about this as well. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, he says, Let no one who delights in humility and the worship of angels pass judgment on you. That person goes on at great lengths about what he has supposedly seen, but he is puffed up with empty notions by his fleshly mind. People that are governed by carnality, people who are governed by the flesh, have a fleshly motivation for what they're doing when it comes to expressing uh, uh, their, their pridefulness through unapplied knowledge, through unheeded truth, that this is the way that people can, you can explain delusional pride in some Christians in the church. They simply have a fleshly motivation. Well, let's look on a third thing here about delusional pride that uh, Paul talks about. We've seen how it is expressed by a superiority complex and through self-confidence and believing they are a special um, a type of person that doesn't really need uh, discipline and principles that the Bible speaks about. We've seen how pride can be explained um, by a little learning going a little too far with a person with lack of love, with fleshly motivation, but how is it exposed? See, Paul is, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's trying to expose this pride. He's trying to make sure that they don't continue this way because this will destroy them spiritually. It'll destroy others. It'll also destroy the church. So how do you expose it? Well, Paul gives them a little bit of how to do that. You see, when you look here in this passage of Scripture, he asks them to, to look at themselves. He, he looks at verse 8. He says, already you're satisfied. Already you're rich. You have become kings without us. I wish you'd become kings so that we could reign with you. In other words, he's wanting them to look at themselves seriously and give serious contemplation as to what they're saying. Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive. In other words, we need to ask certain questions about ourselves and make sure we have the right answers. One of the questions we need to ask about ourselves is who made me what I am? Who made you who you are? Well, a lot of people say, well, I made me who I am. I'm a self-made man. I did this. I, I taught myself. I made myself into who I am and what I am. Well, I'm glad you could say that. I cannot. There's a lot of people from the very earliest memory that I have, grandparents, teachers and others at, in the church, school teachers throughout my educational process. I could go on and on and on. But there have been people who have poured into me what they could, but most of all, the Lord made me who I am. How can I boast about what God did? I can't because God did it. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. It was simply by his grace. It's simply by his choice. It's by what he has done. It is not me. It is what God has done in and through me in my life and who he brought into my life who made me what I am. 
And so with great humility, I have to think, God did something wonderful. He brought me out of a divorce situation at home, brought me out of a split church, brought me out of joining a social fraternity, brought me out of a lot of things that easily could have gone bad in my life and things that I did that I should not have survived or lived through. But yet at the same time, God did all that he could in my life. We need to ask ourselves, who made me what I am? Who gave me what I have? That's another question. Again, there are people who say, well, I earned all this. I'm, I did this. This is what I, I have achieved. Well, to some degree you have, but who gave you the strength? Who gave you the opportunity? Who opened the door? Who provided those resources? Who, who did all of these things? And the answer again is God gave us what we have. And yet there are those in the church who think they did it themselves. But Paul again asked them, what do you have that you did not receive? But the most serious contemplation I think that as Christians we need to have is who deserves the glory in our life? And folks, if we get honest and if we answer the question correctly and if we live that answer out in our life, then pride will have no place to go. It'll have to run because pride will be exposed when we answer the question, who deserves the glory? Because the only answer to that is to God be the glory. And when it's all said and done in our life, when we get to the end of our life, the only thing that's going to matter is what we did in our life that brings God the glory. What was for the Lord, not for ourselves. By serious contemplation, pride can be exposed. By honest confrontation, pride can be exposed. You see, Paul keeps talking about them being rich and being full and and having all these things. And, and Paul's like, well, I sure wish I could be like you, but I'm not because we're weak. There you are strong. We're dishonored. You're distinguished. We're hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, brutally treated. We don't even have a roof over our head. We do all this hard work, and yet there you are saying how rich you are. I think we need to be honest with ourselves as we examine ourselves from time to time and ask Am I as complete as I pretend to be? In other words, is my life really that full? Because I think the honest answer is for most Christians, we are not nearly as well off as we pretend to be to each other. Most Christians have a hard time being real. Have a hard time removing a mask that we put up that says to everybody, we're okay. Well, the truth of the matter is, most people are not okay. And from time to time, all of us are not okay. And the reality is we just need to have an honest confrontation with ourselves. Am I as complete as I pretend to be? Am I as full? Because if we say we're full, if we say we don't need anything, then God's not going to probably do what needs to be done in our life. Because we have stopped what he wants to do by our own pride. Am I as rich as I suggest? All I can tell you is tonight that I'm as rich as I can ever be because of my riches that I have in Christ Jesus. But it is not of me. It's not by me, not for me, but in Christ, I'm as rich as I'll ever be. The Bible tells me I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that I'll reign with him, and so will every believer. We're 
we're going to reign with Christ. So, so when I look at what is available to me as a, as a believer and as a child of God, yes, there's a way in which I can say, above all, I am rich. But folks, in terms of what the world claims to be rich, no. But I don't need it. Paul said he had learned to be as content when he was without as when he was full. But he knew what it was to have both. And Paul here is saying, look where I am right now. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm not properly clothed. I'm brutally treated. I don't even have a roof over my head. I'm working hard. I'm being verbally abused. But he says, we endure. <laughs> Delusional pride can be exposed when we do an honest confrontation of who we claim to be. Am I as victorious? For example, as a pastor, I have to ask myself this from time to time. Am I really as victorious as I preach? <laughs> well, I try to be as honest with you as I can. Most of the time when I prepare sermons, they beat me up way before I preach them to you. There's a lot of times when I'm really having an issue with the Lord saying, Lord, you know, I can't preach that. That really is still my struggle. <laughs> this is this is not a good sermon for me to deliver. This is not a good message for me to preach because I'm, I'm still dealing with these issues in my own heart. I'm dealing with these issues in my own life. And, and the reality is that it should be true with all of us in our walk with each other, in our walk with the Lord, that we don't need to present ourselves more victorious than we are. Now, in Christ, I am completely victorious. But that's in Christ. Of myself and the flesh? No. The struggle is real and the struggle goes on. Delusion gives an inflated view of our personal condition. It gives an inflated view of our spiritual condition. And it causes us to give an inflated view and a delusional view and a prideful view to other people about our condition. Paul had no problem telling them, hey, Right now, I'm hungry. Right now, I'm thirsty. And maybe more than just physical. Maybe he's hungry spiritually. Maybe he's thirsty spiritually. Maybe he's poured himself out to the point that he simply is exhausted. But he works and he presses on because he's basically exposing any pride that he might have, but he wants the church to deal with that pride as well and then the last thing very quickly how delusional pride can be expelled well he tells us in verse 6 let's look at that again I have applied these things to myself and Apollos because of you brothers and sisters in other words what he's saying here is I've taken the scriptures I'm taking God's word and I have applied these things to myself Apollos has applied them to him and this is how you can expel pride, delusional pride from a Christian. First, by hearing God's word, and particularly by hearing God's word through others. We need that in our life. We always need that somebody in our life who will expose our pride and expose the issues in our life through the word of God. I hope you never look for somebody to stand in this pulpit to say to you, this is what I think. This is what I believe. This is what I feel. Because none of that matters. The only thing that matters is what does the word of God say? 
And we need to apply that to our life, and we need to let others help us with that because delusional pride is expelled when that happens. So Paul says, we've applied it to ourselves. I've applied it to Apollos. And, of course, Paul is basically trying to apply it to them. But also by heeding God's warning through others. Look at verse 14 again. Uh, Paul is saying, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to correct you. In other words, he's saying, I'm not here to tear you down. I just want you to get it fixed. You have a mess. And I want you to fix it. I want you to be better than you are. So we can expel pride by hearing God's word, by heeding God's warning, by honoring God's work in others. Again, look at verse 16. Chapter 4, verse 16, Paul simply says, I encourage you then, be imitators of me. Now, Paul was an apostle. Paul was in a right place for them to imitate him. I can imagine that when this was read in the church, a lot of people said he's hungry he's thirsty he is being mistreated he doesn't have a roof over his head i don't know if i want to imitate that or not but that's not what paul's talking about he's just saying i've given all to christ you give all to christ i'm following the lord and what he wants in my life you follow the lord what he wants i'm trying to get rid of pride out of my life you need to get it out of your life you need to look at yourself and see yourself as you are, that in Christ, you can do all things. In Christ, you have every riches of the kingdom made available to you. In Christ, you are victorious, but of yourself and of your flesh, no. Honoring God's work in others, being imitators of those who are walking with the Lord, this will help expel pride. And then lastly, this is the most difficult, and I close with this because for myself, as I told you, these sermons beat me up by humbling yourself before others. The Apostle Paul made it very plain what happened when people abused him. He said, when people lie about us, we answer in a friendly manner. <laughs> when we're verbally abused, we respond with a blessing. When persecuted, we endure. I think the hardest thing that we have in this day and time in which we live is we just believe we have rights. We've been taught since we were kids about our constitutional rights. We've been taught that we have other kinds of rights. I don't know how many times I've heard people in the church say, I have rights. I wonder what a church would look like when everybody surrenders their rights to the Lord and says, you're the only Lord and King. And I will do whatever you ask of me. Humbling ourselves before God, but also humbling ourselves before each other. And that is the hardest thing for any Christian to do in any church. To humble yourself to others. Pride is the most difficult sin any believer really ever deals with it's the reason why it's the original sin it's the reason why it's behind most every sin it's the reason why 
people in leadership positions in churches will commit moral failure because somewhere in that mix there was pride, there was an attitude of, well, I'm entitled. Folks, all we're entitled to is to be under the lordship of Jesus and to give our lives as a living sacrifice to him. That's why Paul, writing to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 1, in light of everything that he had written about prior to that in the book of Romans, said, Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice. Folks, that's what we need to do. We're living in a day and time where people are looking at the church and seeing pride in the church. And there are people in the church who see others in the church and they see pride in the church. And when we become puffed up, when we become delusionally prideful, it shuts the work of God off in our life. Because the Bible says God resists the pride the proud so God help us to look at this passage of scripture in light of what it says and to deal with delusional pride let none of us think more than we should let none of us think less than we should of each other or of ourselves but let our life be submissive to a loving gracious good God. Let's pray.